wonder if we're going to get a baby noise tonight. There it was. <laughs> it's quiet in here. <laughs> Hope you guys had a nice uh, holiday today. Ate some good food, found some eggs. And now I get to eat colored hard-boiled eggs for breakfast this week. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> it's always weird when it makes the white part the color, you know, but I just have to overlook it still. Um, I'm not sure if we've really made much clarity in 2017 on what we're trying to do on Sunday nights. Um, so I'll give you just a minute quick rundown. Um, you've noticed on Sunday nights we've done kind of different things each uh, evening of the month as we go through. The first Sunday night of each month we try to do what we're calling this lab night where we throw a text on the screen. I try to help you walk through that text for a little while to make sense of it so you know how to study the Bible and then we try to preach it back to you. The second Sunday night, typically each month, we're trying to devote that time to discipleship of our young people, investing into our kids. And then we've kind of carved out this third Sunday night before we get to song night, usually on the fourth Sunday night. We're trying to really encourage you um, to not just be thinkers about the word, but to be doers of the word. Um, If you've been around here uh, at all in the last year or so, you know that what we believe deeply is that believers in Jesus Christ who become Christians... Um, are gifted with abilities to serve God and serve humanity. And every part of us, every one of us has those gifts, talents, and abilities to be engaged in ministry. And, um, and so we want to use this time each, uh, each month to try to find a way to encourage you, to strengthen you, and to um, help you get engaged in service in the kingdom of God here in this world. So tonight I want to bring you to a story. This, this is, I should have mentioned too, this is where Matt does a lot of his preaching because a lot of his focus is on helping us engage in ministry, but Matt's in Harding tonight, and um, so I'm going to bring you to the story that is probably one of my favorites from the life of Jesus. Um, Sometimes it's just good for the soul to hear a story about Jesus, isn't it? And and this story about him, you know, I wrestled with this text a lot because you can really, when you get to parables, get into allegory and get into connecting dots, and you get super deep in this, sometimes it's just really good for your soul to think about Jesus. And just listen to a story about him. And what I love about this story is if you just pay very, very close attention and you allow your imagination. Yes, I believe God has given us an imagination for a reason. If you allow your imagination to put yourself at this table, in this place, this is a parable that Jesus tells in response directly to a person who's engaging him. So the story carries weight in and of itself right but the story is in response to a person so you can you and i can saturate ourselves in the parable and learn from it but not miss actually let's make sure we not miss the interaction with jesus and this lawyer um, to see what he's going to teach us you know as i mentioned you can get into parables and and really um i believe sometimes over apply allegory to them um especially this one this story of the prodigal son let me walk you through some allegorical interpretations uh, of this. For example, some people have taught that this traveler man represents the man who has left the heavenly city, Jerusalem, and is going to a worldly one, Jericho. The robbers are representative of the devil and sin who leave that dying man to die. The priest and the Levite refer to the law and its sacrifices, which were unable to help this man in his dying condition. But the good Samaritan is Jesus who comes from a place that people don't recognize and provides the help that is needed. The wine represents the blood of Jesus, the oil, the the Holy Spirit. 
The inn is the church. The innkeeper represents the apostles. The two coins perhaps representing baptism and the Lord's Supper, which allow continual healing and health to come to this man. And um, you, know, you can do that. And there are probably certain times when I should probably maybe teach this parable in a way that does that allegory. So I just wanted to present that to you for you to, you know, go home and think about and dwell on. And as interesting as that is, um, I just step back and say, is that the point of what Jesus wants us to get from this story? When, when Luke was writing, you know, every gospel is written evangelistically, meaning it was written not as just a chronological history. It was written with a point of giving it to a non-believer. This is the, the first evangelism track, okay? Give this to a non-believer, and they would work through the gospel, and it would lead them to belief, and finally, to conviction and then conversion. And so Luke included this story, both the interaction with the lawyer and the parable, by way of teaching something very basic, something very simple. Let's get into the setting to start with. So there's a conversation between a lawyer and Jesus, and this was a pretty um, typical practice. Now, to use the word lawyer, let me make sure we're clear on that. That is not like the way that we use the word lawyer. This is not a man who practices, uh, you know, in the courts lawyer. This is a man who is well studied in the law of Moses. So in the Jewish circle, when they said a lawyer, this is a man who is well studied in the scriptures and of the law of Moses, who was one who was of a group of people that would sit around tables like philosophers and nuance the Old Testament. One of their favorite questions was, what's the most important commandment? Remember, they tried to trap Jesus with that question multiple times. And so lawyers would sit around and they would say, I think it's this one and I think it's that one. And they would just argue back and forth, really, in their ivory tower, probably just inflating their own self-importance, but really missing the point. And Jesus knows that. And there are times I have to really um, reset myself. As a person who sits in a building week in and week out thinking about the Bible, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, thinking about how to teach the Bible, that making sure that we're people that don't just sit around tables talking, but we're actually people ready to do, that's what this parable's about. So this lawyer stands up to test Jesus, it says. Now, uh, I typically think immediately that test is something negative, and it could be, but it, on the surface, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be negative. In this context, um, the word test doesn't necessarily mean negative, although it could be. It could just mean that he was just trying to figure out how faithful Jesus was to the law. When he stood up and said um, in verse 25, let me read it for you again. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want to pause and commend these guys, first of all, because we, we don't often commend this first century scholars and uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, but these guys had eternal life on their mind all the time. They thought about life after death often, talked about it a lot. And for some strange reason, we don't really very much. Maybe it's our comfort, uh, maybe it's our casual nature to life here, maybe it's that we have such an abundance that we want to soak up as much life right now as we can, and so the idea of thinking about life after death is just foreign to us. But these guys thought about it, and this lawyer says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he's asking a very faithful question. They understood working through the law was how you earned your way into eternal life, into the resurrection. There is some implications here, I think, from the text that he was trying to trick Jesus. It says he stood up. 
I don't know why he would stand up. That wasn't common practice. Maybe he was trying to draw attention to himself. Later we see that it says that he was trying to justify himself. Remember when Jesus said, tell me about the law. And he tells him about the law. He says, okay, you've answered that. Do this and you'll live. And in verse 29, he still wanted to justify himself. Strange. His question was incredibly similar to remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers the question like he did with the rich young ruler by taking him back to the law. And in doing so, Jesus showed his confidence in the law and saying, look back what the law says. And the lawyer actually gives the right response. Look what he says in verse 27. He answered, okay, he says, well, Jesus says, what's written in the law? That's how you uh, inherit eternal life. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This lawyer is pretty sharp, actually. He gets it. This is the right answer. And Jesus said, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you can surprise Jesus in his life. Maybe you could. But Jesus says, you're actually right. If you just do this, you'll live. And here's where we get to verse 29. And 29 is important because uh, where he says he wants to justify himself because right answers are different than right living. And this man has answered correctly, but the answer he still knows doesn't line up with his life. I need to love God with all of my being, and I have to love my neighbor just like I love myself. And he says, okay, if you do this, you'll live. And then he wants to justify himself. And he asks this simple question. Okay, who's really my neighbor? Who is it? He wants to justify himself. I don't know if maybe um, he was embarrassed um, uh, because Jesus answered him so easily, saying, yeah, you got it right. Okay, next question. But he says, who is my neighbor? And here's where you have to pay very close attention. This man asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is going to take this one question. Who is my neighbor? He knows what the commandment is. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. And uh, I want to point out that when Jesus says and when the law says love your neighbor as yourself, and what it's saying is you already actually know how to love yourself. Even if you struggle with liking yourself at times, maybe you're hard on yourself, maybe you're critical of yourself, but still, we know how to love ourselves. And his point is this, when you're hungry, what do you do? You eat, right? When you're tired, you go sleep eventually. When you're thirsty, you find something to drink. He's saying, you know how to take care of your needs. You do that. He says, we've got to learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. And this man wants to know, okay, well, who exactly in, the, in all of the world is my neighbor? Tell me who my neighbor is. Which guy gets help? Which guy doesn't? Which woman gets love? Which one doesn't? Who's my neighbor and who's not my neighbor? And that is what sends Jesus into the story. But I'm going to tip you off to the, the really magnificent thing that Jesus does. He takes the question, who is my neighbor, and he flips it on them. And you'll see this at the end, but I want to pique your interest to that. Now let's look at the parable in verse, 20, uh, verse 30. Jesus tells a story about a man who is traveling. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was actually a pretty famous road about 20 miles in distance from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
it was known as the way of blood because robbers were there in a lot of different places. So Jesus isn't making up just some fictional story. He's using reality in their day and age. And this man is stripped of his clothing. He's wounded by thieves. And he is left anticipating that he would die. So there he is, stripped of all the things that he needs, his clothing, uh, stripped of his health, laying there half dead. And there comes two men. First, there was a priest. Uh, We've been talking a little bit about priests on Sunday mornings. A priest was a person who was ordained by God um, under the line of the Levites. And then the high priest was from the line of Aaron, who were specifically called out of the Levites to serve in the capacity in the temple so that those people, so that the people of God could be right with God. And the second man was a Levite, both also of the called out who took of a tenth of the whole nation and was strategically placed so that he might serve the people as well. Both these people represented those who would have known the law well and were called by God to be special servants of God. And both these men were religiously elite in Israel. These were the ones that if you were going to start a religious movement, you would go find priests and you would go find Levites. If we were going to start a group of people that were going to be religious, we're going to start an organization that's going to be super religious. Let's go find Levites and let's find priests. And they see this man and they pass to the other side and they walk by. And then there comes a Samaritan. And Jesus says he shows compassion. Compassion is a really uh, interesting word. It's pretty simple. The root is just passion, which means things that you care about, things that you're energized by, things that you uh, that excite you. That's what passion simply means. And compassion means that you share that. So here, this man has a passion to probably stay alive. That's what he cares about most. This man is lying half dead, naked, in desperate need. So what he's most passionate about is staying alive and what you see when he uses the word compassion it doesn't just mean he feels sorry for the man it means that he looks at this man's plight and says what he needs right now for life is this kind of aid and i share in that passion with him i hurt with him i am actually foregoing the things that i care about most to share in a passion with this person right here he is sacrificing his own individual goals and passions for the sharing of a passion of another person. Now, Jesus, you all know, used Samaritan specifically. Samaritans were despised by Jewish people. This traveler most likely was a Jew, so he would have been dis- this Samaritan would have been despised by him, despised by the Levite, despised by the priest. These guys were descendants of those who were imported at the time of the Assyrian captivity to the northern kingdom. So Israel, the northern kingdom, was taken captive by Assyria, And then people were brought back to implant the Assyrian culture into Israel. And these were transplants. These were not Jewish people. And yet the Samaritan, who would have been despised by the Jews, is the one who shows compassion. He does four things. He bandages his wounds immediately. He applies oil and wine, which would have been first aid in those days. So he stops and applies immediate first aid. Immediate first aid to this man. He then puts this wounded man on his own animal and takes him to the inn. He then gives the innkeeper two denarii, which is two full days wages to provide immediate care for him. 
immediate. So two full days of your wage, imagine that for a moment. That's, that's a pretty good amount of money if you have just a normal job. That's a decent amount of money. Regardless of how much money you make, two days of your labor is that percentage of whatever you make. And that's a good amount of money. And he gives that to the innkeeper and says, I want you to take care of him. And he stays the night with him. Kind of a subtle point, but don't miss it. It wasn't until the next morning that he departed, but he stayed the night with this man. And then he tells the innkeeper upon the next morning that whatever it takes for this man to regain his health, you do it for him and I will repay you when I come back. Pretty cool story, right? Pretty simple too, isn't it? Man, care for people. But here's the beauty of Jesus. This is what I get so excited about sharing with you. He poses the question to the lawyer. Remember the first question? What started the parable? Justifying self. Okay, Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? Now look what Jesus does in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to that man? See, the lawyer replies with the obvious answer, which I'm sure all of you would do right now. Well, the guy that was actually merciful. Okay, And then Jesus simply says, this is the message. There's a lot of deep things and allegories and theological things that you can make from this parable. But here's the point. This man, this Samaritan, had no obligation to be merciful to this Jew. And he was. And here's the point of the parable. Go and do likewise. Just do it. You're going to run into somebody whether they're like you or not, whether they look like you or don't look like you, whether they come from the same neighborhood that you come from or not, whether they have the same beliefs that you do or not, you're going to come across somebody who in an immediate moment needs cared for. It might not be money. It might not be their health. It might just be a listening ear because they've lost somebody they've loved, or it might be um, a card or a letter of encouragement because they've had a rough week or a month. There's going to be somebody who needs from you. And he says, go and care for them. But here's what Jesus did. Here's what I want you to catch. The original focus of the question was, Jesus, tell me who I have to love and who I don't have to love. And it turned into, what kind of neighbor are you? The first question was, who out there is my neighbor? So in this room, okay, which, which of these people, Jesus, are my neighbor? And he takes the question, he turns it back to the man and says, no, 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 no. What I want to know is, what kind of neighbor are you? What Jesus was getting at is that everybody in the world is a neighbor to me. Everybody. There's nobody that's not a neighbor. The question is not who gets care and who doesn't get care. The question is, what kind of person are you? What kind of neighbor are you? This indicates that Jesus sought to draw attention to what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus teaches who our neighbors really are and what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me give you... Uh, in the last few minutes here, just a couple lessons I think that are important. Number one, really simple. A neighbor is someone in need who you can help. Nothing more than that. That's who a neighbor is. One might think that a neighbor is someone who we share things in common with, maybe from the same race or nationality or religion or beliefs or even specific beliefs. Or maybe you might just think a neighbor is someone who's just not my enemy, right? Those that are kind of nice to me, those that haven't um, bothered me, those that haven't offended me or hurt me, those are the people. Yet Jesus put no, put such a concept to rest by using the Samaritan as an example. 
That Samaritan was different in his race. He was different in his nationality. He was even different in his beliefs. He probably voted different than that Jew, right? I don't think they voted then. I was just joking. But there was actual animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Fierceness between them. And though they were considered enemies, the Samaritan was helping a Jew because the man was in need. And so it is that Christians are to show what the Bible calls hospitality, which means love of strangers, to take those in who don't have somebody. That's what hospitality means. That's what we're called to do over and over. We see in the Bible, your neighbor then is anyone in need whom you have the ability to help. And if we will, like Jesus said, lift our eyes, we'll see a field that is white, ready for harvest. One of the great challenges we face is literally taking our eyes away from the mirror and away from inside of ourselves and looking. There are people hurting everywhere. You know this to be true because you hurt. You experience challenges and difficulties. There are people right now that are hurting everywhere, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. There are people hurting. That gets me to the second point. There is a cost to having compassion. And we've got to recognize the cost. We've got to count the cost, maybe, to borrow Jesus' words. That this idea that a neighbor is just anybody who's in need in your life that you can provide help to. The second thing is this. There's a cost to showing compassion. The cost, first of all, that we have to be willing to cross social barriers. For this Samaritan, the social barriers were things like race and nationality, religion and beliefs. But you know what I found for me? I, I, I live in a neighborhood of people, like, like in my world, a majority of the people are kind of like me. Maybe we vote differently. Maybe, you know, maybe there's some differences in some of our beliefs, you know. But overwhelming, I think you all agree that most, like, like we're pretty common here. But here's the social barrier that we've got to actually get across. It's not just beliefs or race, which we need to deal with. Sometimes, if I can be honest, it's just awkwardness, isn't it? I'm talking about the awkwardness of actually talking to somebody and not texting. I don't mean that as a joke. I mean literally being able to put our phones and look at somebody and talk to them. Or the awkwardness of going beyond how's the weather, do you need a cup of coffee, to tell me about your family. And how's your mom? I remember you saying she was ill. That, that, that next step of awkwardness. Or that step in our neighborhoods where we go from, hey Jim, hey Jim, hey Jim, you know, to actually going to Jim's house and, hey Jim, would you like to have dinner? at my house tonight and you get to know them that, that's awkward I'm recognizing it's awkward for it's hard but we as people have to be so secure in the love of Jesus Christ that we're willing to be the first people the first ones to walk across the yard to the neighbor and just introduce ourselves get to know them make an investment in somebody I want to challenge you to pray God, open my eyes to somebody in my life, at my workplace, in my neighborhood, a parent of a kid who's on my son's baseball team, whatever. God, open my eyes to one person, one person who just needs cared for. I can promise you this. God will show you somebody. He'll show you somebody that just needs listened to or cared for and loved on. But we've got to be willing to pay the cost of crossing those social barriers. The second one we've got to be willing, the second cost is that we've got to be willing to take a risk 
This Samaritan took a great risk by stopping. That was called the way of blood. And he probably had a question like, are there still robbers here? Are there still people coming down that could take advantage of him? If he stopped and began providing first aid for this man, he easily could have been beaten just like him. What if other thieves came by and wanted to hurt him? And there are times, yes, we as Christians are called to take upon risks. One of the biggest ones we have is, how do we know people won't take advantage of our generosity? How do we know? You don't know. And sometimes they will. But we've got to be willing to take a risk. And perhaps this is an area where we need to have faith in God. Number three, a cost. We've got to be willing to set aside our busy schedules. You know, the Samaritan said, it says that the Samaritan was on a journey. And people didn't casually walk like we casually take drives, you know. When I was a kid, I hated this. My mom and dad would put us in the van. Uh, we'd go down to my grandma's house and we'd pick my grandma up. And she would, they would make us just drive. And she would look at someone's house, know who lived there, and gossip about them my parents you know we'd oh I remember that person and that person we, she just loved to like drive and talk they didn't walk like we casually drive sometimes they only walked when they had somewhere to go like, like this guy's going from Jerusalem to Jericho 20 miles he's got somewhere to be he has a schedule he has obligations he has an agenda and he was willing to set that aside to care for this man Jesus taught us to take time to show compassion. Remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount? If you're forced to go one mile, what should you do? Go two, right? And that means at times when we only have enough time for the first mile, we think that the whole world will implode if I don't get to the thing that I need to do, that the whole world will just stop spinning. He's reminding us at times, just stop. Just pause. Make time in your schedule to serve and to love people. The second mile was the one also to be given out of love. Last one, a willingness to make sacrifice. That's a cost. This Samaritan sacrificed more than just his time, more than just his energy. He used his own provisions, the oil and the wine. He offered his own animal. He even offered an open-ended agreement to provide for this man's help. Jesus taught his disciples to be willing to make sacrifices, and in doing so, what we're doing is walking in the love of God. We need to be known as people willing to make sacrifice. You know one of the ways Christianity just took off like wildfire in the Roman um, uh, culture? In the Roman culture, um, discarding children was just really, really normal. P people miss this about first century Christianity. It grew through um, uh, organic evangelism, which was going out and converting non-Christians. But one of the fastest ways that Christianity grew was internally people having children. But not just biologically having children. Christians were going and getting all of these children that were left that the Romans didn't want. And they were adopting them and caring for them and loving them and raising them. They were taking that kind of cost. And I just say that to you as an example that we need to be people who are willing to uh, make sacrifices to be demonstrating the love of God. And so with this parable, the Good Samaritan, I think we're simply challenged with this, to a higher standard of love to get outside of ourselves and see you can trust jesus on this point because he's not just sort of twisting your arm and trying to manipulate you to do some things that you're not comfortable with what he's really always trying to do in every teaching and every example and every guidance that jesus offers you what he's trying to do is gently and uh, carefully lead you back to the kind of person that you're supposed to be not just out of obligation 
but out of design. Originally, inside, without sin in our lives, we were designed to love God unconditionally and love each other without fear and reservation. And what Jesus knows subtly, constantly, is that when you learn to do that, the joy and the peace in your life will light up. You will finally come alive to the kind of person that you're supposed to be. And so when he says, what kind of neighbor are you? Who are you loving? Who are you caring for? He's not just pressing on you with guilt as a religious leader. He's like a parent trying to raise you up to the kind of person that you were designed to be. And we see in the ultimate example of a man who is willing to, even though rejected and hated, lay down his life, sacrifice at the greatest cost for the good of other people. The Hebrew writer said it this way, who for the joy set before him, Jesus, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God. Did you catch that? The cross was Jesus' joy. So as I lay upon you maybe the word of God in a way that I hope presses you a little bit, to think about literally making your Sunday cut your Monday so, so that it's different. When you begin to pray, God, open my eyes to somebody that needs cared for. It will cost you. It's going to challenge you. It's going to make you say, okay, i got two things. Which one am I going to do? Trust this, that when you look at the life of Jesus, even his sacrifice brought him joy, that when you begin to sacrifice for the good and love of other people, you'll find abiding joy. That's the offer of Christianity. Remember what Jesus said? I have come that they might have life and they might have it, tell me, abundantly. It's always available for you. If you need abundant life tonight to begin, let's uh, stand and sing. You can come forward.